Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Rooted In Podcast. It is season two, episode three. Very exciting. Uh, we are joined by, we are, we're all here, that's what I meant. <laughs> Everybody's here, the whole Rooted crew. Hi everyone. Hello. Hello. And uh, if you remember from listening to the second episode of this season, we gave kind of an overview, um, an in general look at what deep learning is why it's important, and kind of some of the avenues that we might go down to achieve deep learning. And so this is one of the first episodes where we're really going to dive deeply into one of the pieces <laughs> of deep learning. Um, so we're kind of picking apart what we had been talking about in that previous episode, in uh, episode two of this season. And this more specific subject is really a hail to the heroes of the education world, which is the educator themselves, itself. Exactly. Themselves. Today we're uh, taking a look at ourselves as educators and, and kind of covering the ideas of what we bring to the table, because as educators, it's important to consider that first and to always be considering that as you are teaching. So we're going to be talking about what we already know, the ways that you individually and, and we as educators um, think, and and the things that, um, that the help that we enlist from others, sort of outside influences that are going to uh, help improve our education um, and sort of secure our efficacy as teachers. Right. And if you listen all the way through today's episode, we have kind of a special thank you gift um, that we'll go over at the end. That is a nice little uh, educator discount on our website for some of a new, a new product that's coming out um, in the winter. So keep listening for that. Yeah. So today we're going to be asking you, the educator, some questions to help you reflect on your own teaching in this season of reflection and resolutions because it is January and this is the time of year that we probably think about this the most. We want you to get a jump start on that and be considering it all year long. Yeah, so grab your, your blanket and your tea or your coffee or whatever. Get warm and cozy and ask yourself some questions. That's right. <laughs> Ready for the hard questions. I had a good friend, uh, Kay Stafford, that I worked with in Washington, D.C. at the National Child Research Center as a, a preschool in Washington, D.C. and and Kay used to say that whenever a student wasn't getting something, whenever the child was struggling, that's when it was time to roll up your sleeves and teach. And I always loved that saying. In fact, the first time she said it to me, I just laughed like, well, of course. But the truth of the matter is, mm -hmm. it is really easy to look at struggling learners and blame them. And also feel like here is this problem and it's this mountain we all have to climb. And um, it's, it's uh, not unusual to forget that we, the educators, we have our own... Uh, Unique mindset. Unique mindset, yes. And, and we, we really need to stop and look at what does it mean to roll up our sleeves and teach? And what is it about ourselves that makes us uniquely qualified for that? And what about myself do I need to change, perhaps? Well, it reminds me of there's a saying that goes around the business world that communication is the responsibility of the communicator. Yeah. Right. So it's one of those that comes back on you. If you have a child who's not getting something, you have to keep digging and digging for a better way to communicate 
what you're trying to yes. get across. Yes, and there are always components of, ki- of needing to help kids take some responsibility for their learning. We're not saying that, you right. know, it is all on an educator. However, we want today to be about considering what you yourself can change when things don't seem to be, you know, going positively, <laughs> going right. the way you want. Right. Um, to take just kind of the positive spin of it is also when things are going well, what is it that you, the educator, have brought to that? Right. So right. it's a little bit of like tooting your own horn as or well as right. metacognitive right. analysis. Right. Well. well, yeah. Right. Uh, right. That we want to learn what, what worked, what did we do that made it better. Mm-hmm. And I have a story today about uh, a time that I faced a struggle and I had to roll up my sleeves and figure out how to teach. Um, and it's a story about my own daughter and, uh, my teaching with my daughter. And I think that's, it's a good story because, um, you know, many of our listeners are home educators. Some of our listeners are traditional educators. Um, some are speech language therapists and reading interventions and writing intervention specialists. So, um, we all have these relationships with kids and this, uh, situation kind of taps in a little bit, not only just on the parent side, but on the teacher side as well. So I know some of you have mentioned that, or have heard me mention that my um, oldest daughter, Emma, struggled with attention. And the way this played out in her um, schoolwork, both when she was in traditional school and when she homeschooled, is she would have difficulty completing tasks. Not because she didn't have the knowledge base to complete the task, but the having the, the wherewithal, the executive functioning skills to pull herself together to get tasks done was a struggle for her. So I had to ask myself these questions that we are going to unpack today that Moore already talked about. You know, what did I know? You know, I, as most of you know, I'm a speech language therapist. I had a number of years, a couple decades of training in that at the time I tackled this. And I had some knowledge of executive functioning um, skills and those struggles. Um, how did I think? Mostly, I thought like a teacher and that I was in charge of the outcome and um, the help I enlisted. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit, both me seeking out the advice of some experts and doing my own continuing ed and also looking for um, a trusted friend who um, gave me some good advice as well. So this is my story. I had um, a daughter who I was in pretty much a daily struggle. When she was in school, it was all about she was being kept in at recess because she didn't get tasks done. And she had homework at home, so we spent all evening on this homework that wasn't getting done, which case I decided, hey, this isn't working. If I'm going to struggle with her over getting tasks done, I'd rather do it in the morning than at night when we're both tired. Started homeschooling her, and we still, though, were constantly, it could be 6 o'clock at night, and what, um, you know, uh, could have been done by noon still wasn't done and and so this was just a source of frustration for frankly both Emma and I so that brings us to our first question that we want you to ask yourself as an educator um, and that is what do you need which sounds very simple but it, you can already feel from Rita's story it requires a great deal of analysis kind of evaluation, looking at your specific situation, and really asking yourself, what, what do I need? Yes. So in my case, I had a problem, 
you know, this learning problem. And I needed a solution to help Emma through this learning problem. And that learning problem was causing a teacher problem too, you know. So here was this problem. I had it. I needed a solution. So as Tracy said, the first question you ask yourself is, what is it that I need? Um, one of the things I needed was hope. I needed some hope that this I, there was going to be an answer for this. And I frankly, I needed to see some positive change. And I think Emma needed that too, because she was having all her feelings around um, this issue as well. So I had to look at what did I need? That was where my starting point was. If I can just, I think this is an interesting difference in that I feel like we frequently ask of what the student needs or what the kid needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it can be tough sometimes to then turn that just around on yourself. That it can be easy to answer what I need while well, I need this to be fixed for my kid. Right. Yes. Which is actually really what your kid needs. But right. it's making or keeping that kind of in the frame in the, the framework of yourself yeah. right yeah. and i think you're right claire that the way we answer that like we can i mean i can be this way i just want my problems to go away mm -hmm. right i just want whatever's making life stressful to not be yeah there. what do i need yes. for this not to I be happening no yeah. yes i need right. no problems and happily ever after right right exactly <laughs> and really i think pinpointing like i need a way you know for me i needed some way to help emma stay focused in on task and have that be in a positive way that she could see gains and we could figure out what worked for her, right? Not just, I need her to be better or I need her to make my job easier, right? right? Yeah, so um, one of the things to remember in these kind of educator reflection questions is um, to try to be as specific when you're reflecting on these things, as specific as you can, um, because that will help you arrive at solutions more than just general, you know, I wish this wasn't happening, right? Right, and you saying that, so another thing I needed was I needed a way to present tasks from my responsibility, a way to present whatever materials we were using or to find the right materials or to um, have some methodology around that that would be helpful to her um, so that from the start we were off in a better place than, you know, than we had been. So Right, and that already gives you some idea of maybe where to start looking mm -hmm. for your solution, right? We're getting into some psychology here. The more specific you are in identifying your need, mm -hmm. um, the the easier you will arrive at some sort of solution or path, really. Right, path, right. A path. So just to recap, question <clears throat> number one is, what do you need? So that brings us to question two. What skills do you bring to the learning relationship? And when you look at this question, just a kind of overview word of caution, don't undervalue your own skills. There will be some formal skills that you bring in terms of your education uh, and whatnot, and there will be some inborn, more instinctive type skills that are also yours. You own them, so recognize them for what they are. Right. So in my story, as I already mentioned, I had training as an SLP and I had some knowledge of executive functioning skills. In some ways, that also could stand in my way. Um, but I, so because I initially felt like, hey, I should know this. I should get this. I should not be struggling with this issue. 
Um, another skill I brought, uh, harder to define, was because I was her mom, I understood her strengths and her struggles, and I loved her fiercely. And again, because I loved her fiercely, though, maybe that meant um, I might have been a little harder on her than I should have been. Or, um, you know, my tendency, I was raised in a household uh, with pretty much zero tolerance for not getting things done you know and it was just pretty much expected so I you know would draw on that kind of of background and it seemed like huh why isn't that working it worked for me you know um and I really did have this hey we're just gonna muscle it out here I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and teach 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 till we figure this out and and that was what I brought to the learning relationship what was good about that is I was willing to take some ownership in it what was hard about it was um sometimes that could have created um uh, a tendency to not look outside of myself as soon as maybe I should have. So that brings us to our third question, and this is a truly introspective one. What bias do you bring to teaching? It's very difficult to judge for yourself, so it's going to require some real thinking and probably some outside help. Yeah, and a good thing to remember about considering your own bias is something Rita already touched on, which is thinking back to how you were taught um, and maybe also some of the dynamics of your household, which, I mean, parents do a lot of teaching, even if they weren't the ones uh, formally educating you, they were educating you in many ways. So how your parents sort of ran the household, things you may have picked up from them, things you may have picked up from teachers throughout your, your own education, those are going to shape your teaching, whether it's because you've completely rejected something you thought didn't work for you, or because you've mm -hmm. sort of subtly embraced something uh, because of years of having that, you know, experience yourself, so. Right, and you know, you can have a lot of bias that I am not going to do this the way my family right. did, and therefore miss some jumps, right? right? Or you can be in the other direction, I'm gonna do this exactly exactly the way my parents did and you know you have your own unique set of kids and a whole different generation different expectations different challenges so um, that and you are different you're a different person than your parents were so all of that uh, can really um, be tricky when I had to think about my own biases um, I, there were two kinds of, of uh, resources one is I really do believe it's important to have a very small select few people in your life who can speak truth to you so you know I had this select group of people that I knew I could trust and um, I would try with those few people to be honest about the good the bad and the ugly about what I was thinking toward this issue and um, but I also needed to find someone I could trust who was a challenge for me so if, if I surround myself only with uh, speech language pathologists then I'm gonna get mostly that view if I surround myself with only people of my same faith I might get only that view if I surround myself 
you know, only with people who are like me and very organized and get things done, then I would have that view. So I really had to think about who what who were my challenge people and who could I really trust. So when by cha- I by challenge people, you mean people who will challenge you? Yes, <laughs> yes. Not not be a challenge for you. Don't necessarily think the way you right. do think about the way everything. You think. Yes, and they may yeah. think very differently from me. So right. I have to be willing to embrace some of these different ideas. So um, I started to look at my own bias, and the truth was I didn't really know what it feels like to struggle with this particular problem. It's not that I don't have any struggle in my life. It's not that I don't think I have you know real weaknesses in my life. It's just in particular, this particular struggle of attention is not one that I have. Although I am getting worse as I age. <laughs> I was so, going to say, sometimes our meetings are a little like, okay, <laughs> Rita, attend to attend. what we're doing. Um, I am a logical thinker and I am really performance driven. So for me, just checking the boxes in a day and for me having some teacher pat me on the back and say good job was really what it took to motivate me um but consequently i'm not good at living in the moment and my daughter emma is awesome at living in the moment and i had a lot to learn from her about that um i am hyper responsible so um i always feel like i have to solve every problem put in my path and maybe I don't give things enough time. Maybe I don't give them their own path often Mm -hmm. enough. You know, this is my um, personal struggle and my personal weakness. Um, So I started to recruit some friends. What do I need to hear? And I have this friend, Joe, um, Joe Dyke, who is a good friend of mine, and she really does think differently. And she definitely... Um, embraced my daughter uh, uh, with full appreciation for who she was and and her um, creativity and her um, impulsiveness, impulsiveness and all of that. She found much, you know, joy in. And so one of the things Joe told me is I was so busy educating that I actually was being too controlling. She was an oldest child and she really wanted me to back off more. So where I would see disorganization and want to move in and organize, that moving in to organize, which I thought was helping to frame up a good learning environment, that perhaps Emma felt like this is too much control and now I'm wanting to really back off from all of this framework that you've created for me. And so I actually was setting up what I thought was being helpful I came to realize through this help of another person that I actually was setting up um, a situation that made Emma want to pull back. And so when I acted in this counterintuitive way of giving her more control, letting her mess it up more, um, and giving her, you know, and saying, I think you can do this and let me know if you need my help, she actually started to rise to that level of thinking and was starting to get more tasks done because they were hers now. And while I thought I was giving her ownership, you know, like teaching her ownership, I was being too involved. And I wasn't able to see that in myself at all, not at all. 
And so I think even when she'd come home with homework, that's even worse. Like, so it's not just the home educator. Traditional school, she's going to go back and get grades. Yeah, she's that, gonna, that makes it even harder sometimes. It is. Yeah. She's going to feel bad about the grade. She's going to compare herself to other kids. So then you're even like, wow, we got to really get this done. We have to really make this right. Um, and, and I don't want you to like start to think that a bad grade doesn't matter, but on the other hand, I hate it that you're being graded on everything. So, you know, it was just tough. The things that were motivating me to, to, to organize her more, um, were actually not very helpful. And that was a bias I could not see. Yeah. If, if I can real quick, just go back to kind of your first point that you had initially made under this question about the fact that um, you don't know what it feels like to struggle with the difficulty that Emma had, where I think that's a lot of, um, like at least with the students I see, I feel like you get one camp or the other in an extreme of either they're very, very familiar with it because it's something that they have been struggling with, or they have no idea because they've never encountered this before and then mm-hmm. don't know how to teach to it. You mean the parent? You mean the educator. parent? Yeah, yes. sorry, the parent mm-hmm. educator. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> um, but I think it's an interesting, just an interesting point that if you, in answering that question about the bias you have, spend some time with looking at, am I actually familiar with what is happening and what this struggle is? And I don't necessarily mean familiar with on just a like clinical level like can I define what this problem is mm-hmm. but do I know what it empathize? means yeah can you empathize do I know what it means to day after day have this mm-hmm. or or work with this or, or do I have this similar type of struggle but not at all in this venue right, right. like you can often uh, create some empathy by being like you know what I don't struggle with you know this academic realm per se but I have a struggle with this type of thing when it comes to cooking or when it comes to exercise or when it you know and you that can kind of help you be like ah well if this was this thing that I hate I may look differently and that can help you you know kind of discover some of the feelings that your child or your student may be feeling right well and I think we can have a bias if we have experience the same struggle too Mm -hmm. so that's something else to realize that just because this particular thing hurt you or this particular aspect Mm -hmm. um made you feel this certain way we can get super protective of our kids because we don't want them to feel and experience what we felt and they may not be anyway you know so um that's something to consider uh you mentioning that with emma one of the things that emma has struggled with that has contributed to her attention problems is she had a lot of autoimmune issues in terms of her allergies so she would get hives she would have itching all kinds of things and i remember i was trying to take a um a a natural nutrition product in it i can't remember what was in it i think it was primrose oil or something (laughs) anyway every time i took this this pill my hands would start burning they would turn red and i would have that pin prick itchiness on my hands and one day i was like looking at my hands realizing hey this happens exactly 15 minutes after i take this pill every day and and putting it all together and i was describing to emma what i was feeling and emma said oh i know just what you're feeling that's what it feels like for me when i'm having an allergic reaction well, that's like all of September for her and half of October. No wonder 
she couldn't attend like it just really it, it made me realize like oh my gosh i can't think of anything but this burning sensation and she deals with that on a regular basis so is this yeah. really an attention problem or right. is this an allergy problem like there's so many things that Could be you just don't know yeah, they're and, so interwoven. Yeah. yes right. and was i listening enough or investigating enough on that little thing about her allergies instead right. of like quickly thinking oh it's all this other thing i think I well understand. and the good thing to remember too is you might have a tendency to think well why didn't she just tell me right that hey i'm struggling here because my allergies are acting up and this is making it hard kids are still developing that level of metacognitives you know uh, analyzing what all may be affecting me here why am i struggling yeah, they don't know they yeah they might not always know right well, and so it can be easy to think that your kid will just let you know if something is up but you have to do a little more digging yeah, i mean that. adults don't know yeah I mean, adults I don't like always know you're like short-tempered about something and and irritable about something and then you realize that oh i'm getting sick like yeah. oh, I'm having, now I have a cold, or right. I'm hungry, yeah, I'm worried or, about thus and I'm such, stressed. and I'm, yeah. I'm displacing that worry. Well, we've all had a time when someone else has said, you know, you, I think you're, you know, blah blah blah, someone close to you, and you're like, I'm not. Oh, maybe that might be it, right? You hadn't even quite identified that right. in yourself yet. So right, right, yeah. right. Well, Tracy has a story of her sister who had a hernia, and she thought everyone experienced what she experienced. She didn't right. know. I was found out I was like practically blind when I was twelve. I didn't know that other people could see leaves and grass. I didn't know it. So I never told anyone I can't see the leaves and grass. And that is something you had touched on earlier, that you just don't know what you don't know. Yes. Right? And that's part of what makes identifying your biases difficult. Yes. So our kids don't either. Yep. Right? So let's move on to our next question. Um, And Rita, you started to touch on this one when you were talking about the um, being uh, worried about performance, the pressure of a performance and the response to that on the part of your student or your child. So question four is what do you worry about? Right. I, I, it's interesting when you ask that because I needed assurance that it wasn't my fault. And as much as I um, do think roll up your sleeves and teach, um, there is a lot that you take on with that, that what am I doing wrong? And I hear that a lot from educators. Like, it's good to ask yourself what you're missing, but then you can be condemning of yourself too. Yeah. Like, I'm probably the one who's causing this. Not you know? giving yourself some grace right. that you might need. Right, um, yeah, right. That can be particularly hard for parent educators. Mm-hmm. Now yes. you've got the two hats. Yeah, yeah, right, both. And then also, I needed to be understanding, I needed the understanding and reassurance that it wasn't Emma's fault either. And it sounds funny to say, like, it's not that... Uh, intellectually I didn't know that this was her own particular bag of strengths and weaknesses but it's really easy when you get into a teaching situation with a child or any you know a parent-child situation that it's easy to just start taking things personal and you start kind of silently blaming the kid right you know you know you're it's just really or easy. Or not like, so silently. You're not yeah. so silently, yeah. You know, and it's that same thing. Like, I just want the problem to go away, and actually you're standing in the way of that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to feel this kind of displaced anger 
Um, and then you feel bad about that too, you know, so, but you need really that knowledge and reassurance of what's really going on so that you can separate it from your relationship with that child. And I think teachers in classrooms are like that too. Like you can have that one child in the classroom that the whole day would be easier if that one child would be removed. Like everything could go easier if you didn't have this major issue going on that you had to deal with. And I think it's it's realistic to have those feelings. And also we need to separate out what's happening so that we don't have this negative feeling toward the child. Um, I was worried, therefore, for our relational, about the stress this was putting on our relationship. You know, one of the things that I came to realize is one of the things I needed to do was start talking about how much Emma and I were alike instead of me thinking. One time I realized I was thinking, I'm just not this way. I'm so different. And then I thought, that's actually not healthy for me to keep thinking that way. So I started working on this is how we're like. Well, turns out we have a ton of things in common. There are many, many things. And by the way, even some things that I found hard to deal with that actually, sadly, are very much like myself. Other people have to deal with it in me, right? But also, we do have a lot in common. We are united in so many ways. And that had a huge impact on just our relationship and uh, and still does. And um, I also worried that I kept trying all these things and they weren't making enough of a difference and it wasn't happening fast enough. And what was the outcome going to be? And all of that, that I think anyone who's a parent knows all those kinds of worries. Yep. So. so true. Um, yeah, so these feelings, uh, she's telling a story that's very parent educator focused, but um, all of the, these feelings are, are sort of, you know, going to be what comes with being an educator in any form. We constantly, when we feel that we have this responsibility over a child's education, as educators do, you have constant fear of failure, and that could be failure on your part as the educator, or you have a fear that your, your student will fail. Um, feelings of helplessness as an educator when you've tried so many different things you know I do feel like I respond to things that aren't working and I try this and then I try that and then I try this and I try that and then like nothing seems to be like working so that can make you feel a little bit helpless um that can also lead to lots of frustration and anger and that's always really hard because you never quite know where to place it because it's easy to, you know, when the frustration and anger is always wrapped up in the student that seems to be, you know, causing that frustration and anger or always a part of that frustration and anger to to take out your frustration and anger on the student themselves um, or on yourself, right? You can be frustrated with yourself and then have that be part of this kind of constant negative self-talk that isn't helping anyone. Feeling stupid or inadequate, we know students who struggle often feel this way, and you can feel that way as an educator as well, especially with students who struggle because they require so much more unique strategies and you know little niche type things that aren't sort of those things that work for the the broad the typical student etc and so that can make you feel like i'm just not qualified i don't know what i'm doing here maybe i haven't read enough maybe i haven't read enough they also require more time yes you can have trouble understanding when's enough exactly am i just spinning my wheels exactly completely 
Um, and and then feeling like you're being judged by others. I mean, I think this just comes with the territory of living, you know, not in isolation. <laughs> you're constantly around <laughs> other teachers or other parents, um, you know, your peers, etc. We tend to, you know, especially um, women, but also men, you know, we, we share problems that we're having with other people to kind of, you know, feel that sense of community. And sometimes that can result in feeling like, oh, you know, this person's not having that issue and therefore, you know, what am I doing wrong, right? Or, you know, sometimes feeling judgment that may be happening, may not be happening. It's easy to just feel a judgment from others when they're not necessarily experiencing what you're experiencing. And, uh, and then also, of course, feeling a loss of control, um, which just comes with the territory of, you know, working with people. We can't control everything about humans. Humans are, you know, a, f- a force. And, and, you, and, <laughs> and kids especially are not always going to do things the way you think they will. Um, they are developing people and therefore, you know, a little bit uncontrollable. We can't always know how things are going to work out. And so that can be difficult, especially educators tend to be people who like control. <laughs> people who gravitate towards education are people who are, you know, maybe those more organized thinkers, et cetera. And so not knowing where things are going to go or the path that a child might take can feel very um, uncomfortable. And, you know, now that you just unpacked all that more, I'm feeling the need to remind everybody that we titled this, you know, that you are the hero. The educator Mm -hmm. is the hero because, um, you know, every good hero story, there's always that battle, right? There's always that (laughs) struggle. You have to descend. Yes, right, right. I mean, that is part of what makes you a hero is Mm -hmm. this really clawing your way through. Being in the trenches. Yeah. 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 Epic battle. Right, the epic battle. So when you're having all these feelings, you don't feel like the hero, you know, and you can stop at any point in any, you know, (laughs) hero tale, and they're not going to be feeling like... It appears that things will not get better for them right? yes right right, right, right right I was actually thinking something something similar earlier in listening to um you talk Rita that it was making me kind of go back and forth about this idea where it's like okay you're giving very very specific examples having been a parent and an educator and a parent educator like all all those pieces mm-hmm. um and being willing to look at your own life and go, okay, this was my hero's journey. Like, I will now sort of declare myself as a hero for having done these things and doing these things without being like, ha I'm this shining example of all things right. It's not that. Um, but it's like, I don't know. I think it's a neat, because you can so get bogged down in in the, the darker feelings, in the more this one kid I can't connect to or this one strategy never works or this whatever it might right. be that when you haven't gotten you to the other side right yeah um i don't know i just think it's kind of a cool it's kind of a cool thing like i don't know. yeah <laughs> and it's a good perspective to consider this although it is hard when you're in the midst of it but to consider it as your journey and that mm-hmm. every journey has its its you know nader right <laughs> exactly and we'll experience the peak you know and then you will be on the other side someday um and and what can help that hero's journey you know maybe be a little bit more smooth in the midst of it is this kind of uh frame of self constant self-reflection and really Mm -hmm. dynamic teaching yeah i guess more to my point of the goal of self-reflection is not to make you feel like bad about everything yes but that it's like there you are a hero right and everybody for having done whatever their version of it is exactly exactly um, but moving on from there, <laughs> um, one of the other kind of fluctuating feelings that can happen while you're in the midst of teaching, um, 
well, there's actually, there's several different kind of back and forth ideas. Um, and one of them was, Rita, what you had kind of initially started with um, in talking about is a wait and see approach versus a like jump in, roll up your sleeves, go do something about it approach. And um, Rita had said like, she's the kind who she's definitely always on that one side of the fence of constantly rolling up her sleeves. And it's like, I'm not going to wait around and see for anything. I'm just going to jump in. Um, And you can get pulled back and forth or be squarely on one side of that. And I think there are at times when one is better than the other because there are times when it's like I would like to see actually give something more time than right. you were giving a little it. more yeah. time um but you know but a lot of what we do is very much like go do something about it go try something and then see how that went and then go try another thing right um but there is this kind of back and forth for your own feelings as an educator Right, that wait and see versus intervention, mm-hmm. right? So for me, even backing off, though, was an intervention, right? Right, <laughs> Because I wasn't just going to be floating out in the middle of the sure. ocean with the waves, you know, crashing around and then, gosh, I hope I don't drown, you know, right. kind yeah. of thing. So what you're really saying is there a difference between waiting to just see if anything will happen and giving something time. Right, yeah. I guess right. that's a better way of right. putting it. Right, right. Um, yeah. But even giving it time, I still had to be doing that hard work of reflection mm-hmm. as a teacher in mm-hmm. order to even let her, you know, to to figure out like, you know, so it wasn't like, hey, you can do anything you want all day long and I'll just give it time to see if you ever do anything. Right. It was more like these are the things we need to do. And you can choose the order. Mm-hmm. And you can choose where in the house you are, except when we have to be doing our joint teaching times, you need to be here, you right. know. Right. Um, and and if they're not done, it's going to still need to be done, and there will be consequences for that, but you're aware of those consequences. Right. And I'm not going to blow my top over it, hopefully. Yeah, you know? actually, when you said back so, off, it was actually more of like helping, letting her take more of the ownership mm-hmm. over the things that still needed right. to happen. They still need to so happen. It wasn't like, I'm not going to teach you at all. And so in in that way, it is interesting because you see the, and I think that that is a bias, right? Mm -hmm. That comes back to our biases that some people really have much more of a wait and see philosophy Mm -hmm. and they really embrace that and it has some value for some things. And some of us are much more, you know, jump in do it all jump in start learning what you need to learn even if you're going to be hands-off meanwhile don't waste time with it be out there reading or whatever and so you know those are clear biases yeah oh absolutely um i do think the concept of of acting like constantly like there's Mm -hmm. always whether that's internal action or an external action right whatever where there's constant action might be um worthy of a larger conversation Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's really true true. we could have Um, a whole podcast on that so yeah look out for that one so other polarizing (laughs) philosophies but yeah to keep going um one of the things that can happen a lot is the idea of wanting your kids or your students to be happy to enjoy what they're doing to have a good time um versus pushing them toward progress, I can't talk, toward progression, um, and the sort of potential difficulty and potential conflict or even crisis that can come out of that. That you want your kids to be happy and enjoying stuff. You want your students to like what they're doing and like learning, 
but you also want them to be learning right. and actually be growing. Any right? educator has experienced this yeah. sort mm-hmm. of delicate it's balance. Terrible. Yes, it is. It, it is, is hard. It, it's a hard one. And, you know, um, it's interesting being, you know, and I think Tracy could attest to this too, you know, having raised now adult children is, you know, kids kids have to learn how to be happy. Mm-hmm. Life right. isn't going to always keep them happy. Right. And we really don't do them any favors by trying to keep them happy all the time, right? right. I mean, some things they just have to do. Yeah, you right? have to right. learn to entertain yourself. You right. have to learn to put yourself back to sleep as a baby. Yeah, you right. have to you learn to sometimes go in and get them up every yeah, time. Yeah, sometimes they roll do over. things that are you know not your favorite, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. as we all have to do. Right. I mean, you know, there's plenty of things I have to do that are not my favorites. You right. know, now do I want to live my whole life twenty four seven doing those things? Right. And no. never have any no. fun. No. Yeah. But actually have. Happiness is very much an attitude, and if I get my own way all the time, that doesn't necessarily make me happy. Right. So, well, so you, you have this. Develop, what does it mean to be happy? Right? right, right. You can develop true happiness from accomplishment, right? Of something Absolutely. that originally was very difficult. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. Un- yeah. Right. Think- and from pain. I mean, people who've been through some major life struggles. I have a, mm-hmm. a brother-in-law who um, battled um, stage three brain cancer. Ooh, right. Nobody was happy during that time, but there were joyful, peaceful, grace-filled events from that. And in the midst of that, Mm -hmm. that you just can't even imagine. So people have been in those kinds of situations. So when we talk about, you know, this, how far do we push versus letting kids be happy? That is a really hard, that's a hard philosophy to to look at, to wrestle with. To wrestle with. Yeah, you can also end up with this, well, I know that as an adult, you're going to encounter things that you don't like, and you're going to encounter this idea that you have to deal with upsetting. So why put it on them now? Right. right? So, like, mm-hmm. why put your kid through I'll that? try to protect you now. Right. right. But I think part of the fallacy of that is that just like with anything that you have to learn how to deal with or learn how to do is that if you've reached a stage of adulthood and suddenly have to encounter something that is not your fave... And you've never... You've never had to deal with it, so you've never had an opportunity to learn how to deal practice, with it. Practice, practice, practice. Right. Yeah, exactly. So right. I, get, I get the idea of wanting... I mean, I have the, yeah. with my students when it's like, you don't like what we're doing, and I'm really well, and, supporting. And no one likes to feel like the enemy either. That's right. the hard part about being the teacher, is while you may know I need to push them, you may struggle to actually get to that point because... You don't like being disliked. I mean, and and, I, and this is someone who I, I I'm speaking as someone who tends to maybe push more than I should sometimes, but it isn't fun when you, a kid is looking at you like you're the reason I have to yeah, do this. Are we done yet? Right? <laughs> and, and you're yeah, that's not. And cool. I hate you. Right. <laughs> so that flows really nicely into the next kind of flip flop balance um, philosophy, which is this idea of having empathy toward your student or with your student, I guess you have empathy, empathy with somebody, um, or the risk of being emotionally manipulated by your students or your kids, um, which can happen a lot and is a really hard line to see until you've crossed it or even on way the other side of it and looking back and going, oh, oops, <laughs> shouldn't right. have gone that far. Um, that And it can happen with pushing, that if you're pushing toward progress or pushing for something, and then it's a student who doesn't like what they're doing and they know a way to get around that, 
and you're letting them because you know it's hard for them, are you sitting in the empathy circle or are you sitting in the I let them kind of... Emotional manipulation. Yeah, trick me into not working on something Mm -hmm. anymore. Well, and so yeah, it can be happening on on both the teacher and the student part, Mm -hmm. right? It's easy to be manipulated by the kids. They often know how to get you to not make them do things, um, whether you're their parent or just their teacher um, or both. Um, and then also, as you said, sometimes, like, I, I've, I've made someone cry accidentally, right? Yes, and we all have right. those moments where you're that, like, yeah. oh, man, I didn't want to be that teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I had no idea it was coming, too, because sometimes kids can really make it seem like they're okay, and you've been subtly communicating something that's hurting them, and then they burst into tears, right? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. that, and you have to take a real step back and look at what was the emotional, <laughs> you know, environment, environment yeah. there that mm-hmm. I had created that yeah. resulted negatively mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, but uh, as a parent you're going to have kids who will you know suddenly burst out at you right that is i mean <laughs> you, you know as a 13 year old you're you're really not as rational you know so you know or a two-year-old is not as rational I hate to compare those two ages but sometimes you know um but you know it's, hey it's, i thought we were past this. <laughs> it's not it's not reasonable it's just this flood of emotion and while you know you are like okay let's take a deep breath here at the same time it doesn't change the fact that no you still can't go out with that person who i totally don't trust and you know and they can't drive you know so (laughs) so you know there's always this this uh this pull, push and pull with your kids emotions i think when you're a parent it's tough yeah um the last kind of back and forth and we have mentioned this throughout and we've mentioned it in previous podcasts as well is this idea of a process versus a program which is a really clean and and nice alliterative way (laughs) of saying that what you're trying to think about is a philosophy or an approach to education and an approach to learning and an entire kind of I don't know universe of of thinking about something versus and I put in air quotes, finding the right program. Mm -hmm. And which of those two kind of ideas is actually going to result in the most and the best progress for you and for the people you're teaching? Right. If you consider your teaching as a process, right, there are many components that I'm folding in. There are bits and pieces of different approaches that I'm maybe pulling from, and I'm trying to kind of tailor my teaching for this student that will result in the most success for them as opposed to I'm hoping there's a program out there that has everything I need which might result in starting lots of things and feeling like they didn't immediately meet the needs and you know throwing them away and starting a new one you might feel like oh I've gone through many programs and I feel like nothing's working and that could be because first of all some things take more time than you may be giving it but also education is tends to not be sort of this one philosophy right there are so many different people with many different approaches and there's all and there's like so many voices and that's why many education edu, or, um what, what are the word i'm looking for many homeschool parents are using these various aspects of different things because they've realized that there's value in many different places mm-hmm. many different people with very different and traditional with educators ideas. right do too yeah. oh, yeah. right they're it's, pulling from these different philosophies you know it's exactly. interesting because there's a direct story back to my story of Emma in that um, Emma is actually very strong math 
thinker, but she was not a good math performer. So she didn't like math in, in uh, school, in homeschool and traditional school, both. And, and uh, just to clarify, Emma was in traditional school, K through third grade, homeschooled fourth through eighth grade, back in traditional school um, for high school, and then of course college. So, um, so I tried a different program because uh, I could really see that you know a math page full of a bunch of questions was not going to be fun for her at all. And I had picked the program Matthew C. Now all of Emma's um, response to having to get her math work done didn't change, but Matthew C was a good choice for her. So I could have thought, oh wait, I just haven't found the right program yet. Chuck it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try something else. But instead, right. I realized that there were aspects of this we were on the right track. And there were pieces here that I had something to learn from mm -hmm. of why this felt a little better. Um, for one thing, just a lot more white space on the page. Um, and then from there, you know, I was going through this process. So I could have kept flipping programs and I tried a couple. Um, and certainly when she was in school, she had to use what they used. Mm -hmm. but, um, but just switching programs wouldn't have solved anything. All I would have done was have a different program every right. year. Right. And that actually would have been even more inconsistent. Yeah, so, right. so, so you do have to, more as a process. Yeah, you have yeah. to give things time. I mean, right. try to do your homework and know you're on the right track here. You know, find the people who can help you, which is what we're leading to. Right. But, but... Um, a lot of flipping around doesn't really take care of a problem. Reflect yeah. on a program too. What are the components of this that I like and may want to keep? And, and you know, am I sort of you know, taking all of it and assuming everything about this is perfect? Or, you know, maybe there are just bits and I wish this could change. And do I need to pull something else in to yes. provide that, that this program lacks? Nice. Yeah. 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 So question five is kind of a two-parter. What do I need to learn and who can help me learn that? And this goes right back to our hero's journey we've been talking about because um, part of the classic hero journey is that eventually the hero meets a mentor who helps guide them, gives them some of the tools that they're lacking in order to do the impossible task. <laughs> Seemingly right. impossible. Yes. <laughs> right, and we all have mentors and, um, and, and uh I think those mentors can be in obvious places and they are in unexpected places. And just because someone has a particular uh, credential doesn't mean they're going to be your mentor, right? right? Um, uh, I did a lot of extra reading. And I remember um, I was reading Mel Levine's book and he had described this form of uh, attention that was the non-hyperactivity uh, attention deficit in which kids seemed to come to a slow grinding halt as they worked. And I just remember, and I shared that with Emma, this slow grinding halt, like it would help us put words on it. Like she'd start out and then just kind of fizzle, you know, and then we began to identify. So when you're coming to this grinding halt in your work, what do we need to do? how could we make that better you know and she and i together we would have a lot of conversation around that and just having that image that wording around it and i see it in some of my students and i've shared oh, yeah. this phrase with too. a lot of uh of other um 
parents about their kids that that understanding that for me was just these words that I really could wrap the whole concept around about what she was really experiencing um you know it just so happens my sister um, specializes in behavior management so she works a lot with kids who have various kinds of behavior problems and um and also some of those children also have attention problems and she gave me some strategies that she had found particularly helpful um, one of them I share in a blog that's about um, how we'd done this whole post-it oh, note yeah. calendar and and we did that you can find that in our in my blogs um, and then also I mentioned already that I had this friend Joe Dyke who you know I just knew just thought more like I'm a thought and she was an adult and I thought she could help me understand um, maybe a little bit about if if I was teaching you Joe what would you want you know and um, and so you know that mentorship was was based on um, just pure personality and friendship and being someone that I respected and had good insights so awesome um, so <laughs> in wrapping up the the discussion today was really about you know how are you building into your own knowledge and understanding as an educator it's easy to just sort of run with what you have uh, but we need to constantly try to be feeding that we are not um, uh, unending resources we mm -hmm. will also grind to a halt yeah. if, <laughs> if coming to uh, coming against struggle constantly so we so we want you to be thinking about building into your own self as an educator and mm -hmm. a big part of that is starting with this reflection especially around the areas that um, can be a bit difficult um, and asking yourself these questions that we had you ask today yeah and that really one of the points that Rita like kept coming back to is that idea of mentorship or or building that select right. few group of people that these are people that you trust that you are comfortable asking hard questions and having hard conversations with um or potentially hard conversations mm -hmm. they could be easy but mm -hmm. um probably not if they were easy you probably wouldn't be there right right, mm -hmm. right and and making sure that you know there's there's someone in your life who in some way shape or form can help you challenge your own right. perspective and your own way of thinking and that might open you to something new and something potentially better than what you are currently doing. Right. Mentors need mentors. Yes. Right. You can't yes. be a mentor for your students and, unless you have some mentors in your life yes. as well. Right. 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 Which right. will really right. help I, you. I've had plenty of mentors and now I'm in the role of being a mentor. Right. and. Um, you know, I, I just don't think there's an end to that, you know. Yeah, right. We still have them. Yes, we do yeah. still have them. Absolutely, we still have them. Right. Yeah. Um, and so. then, yeah, and then asking yourself, are, are you on a path to progress? Or are you not? <laughs> you know, yeah. where are you in, in your mm -hmm. education? And, and if you're sensing some areas, it might not be overall, but sure. some areas where you sense that the progress has stopped um, and there's some, some sort of barrier there, um, starting to dig into that and not being afraid to because that's part you know that's part of life and it's part of what makes you a hero educator yeah take the time to go through these five questions do it formally if you want Get right a journal yeah. out and right. see what oh, you yeah. can discover can really you know help. it makes us better humans i mean good teachers have to be good humans first you know yes. really yeah, <laughs> i don't I, know if i've ever known a good teacher that wasn't a good human i you was know? gonna say and one of my favorite <laughs> teacher stories i have of a teacher of mine growing up was one that had wronged me in and apologized for it 
mm-hmm. and changed. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that sticks out in my mind as a mark of that teacher having been a good teacher. Yeah, one of your favorites, right. too. Right, one of my yeah. favorites. Right. Right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening today. Um, it was a deep conversation, right? A pretty heavy <laughs> conversation. Um, but it's all good stuff. Um, we had mentioned... At the beginning, um, we are very excited to be able to offer our listeners uh, 20% off on our Sticky Ideas Winter product. Um, It's got all kinds of great winter-themed activities (laughs) that are kind of fun learning opportunities, bits and pieces of writing, um, a little bit of uh, grammar, grammar, a little word study, um, all multi-sensory As we do, folding in all the areas of language arts. (laughs) Right, like we like to Just some more fun activities to roll into what you're already doing. Right, Right. yeah, we have this winter packet in a file drawer that we always, I've been pulling out for years and adding to for years, and we kind of pulled it out and said, "Hey, hey, let's share this. Right, so. good stuff in there, and they're mm-hmm. cute to boot. So. Yeah, <laughs> cute um, to boot. <laughs> but that, uh, if you uh, go to our website, rootedinlanguage.com, um, if you put that sticky ideas winter at checkout, you can use the code hero twenty h e r o number two, the number zero, um, and that'll be twenty percent off of that. So thank you guys so much for listening. You've been a wonderful audience. <laughs> <laughs> thank Bye. you.